Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Design Recharge. Just wanted to uh, thank you guys for coming. Hopefully, you have your Christmas plans all done, and you're getting ready for the the new year and some of the stuff that you're going to be working on in the new year. And today, we have Kim Spencer, and she is a uh, professor at Virginia Commonwealth University, and she teaches interactive or web design. And then she also has her own company called Protozoa Design, which is over there in the chat. And how Spreecast works, if you're new to Spreecast, there's that chat window. You can actually type questions below Kim. There's a, a button. And then over there, you can just type questions. You connect with other people. Um, Design Recharge is a weekly. Uh, yeah, she has an R2D2. It is really cool. <laughs> She's been on before, Johnny. <laughs> it's big, too. Um, she um she's been a guest on before and but she will be on again um and anyway how design recharge works we are not doing a episode next week we are taking a little r and r and i'm gonna go see my family and um and hang out with them and do stuff like that and then we will be back on January 2nd, and we're going to have Triple Threat Press, a letterpress um, in Texas, coming and talking to us um, that week. So without further ado, Kim, I'm going to hand it over to you. If you could just give us a little bit of your background. We met when I was at VCU. So tell us, tell us a little bit about what you do, and, and then we'll get into skeuomorphism. Okay, well... Um... Primarily, uh, I have a full-time business, uh, Protozoa Design, which focuses on interactive media. Um, and then I teach part-time at VCU, as Diane mentioned, and teach web design and visual narrative. And uh, skeuomorphism is just one of those techniques that is I incorporated in my work. It's something I um, instill in the students to give them an understanding of techniques and things that we can use for usability and uh, pre-existing uh, conditions and environments that we could piggyback on to uh, enhance user experience and that sort of thing. Um, but really interactive web is, is my game and that's uh, what I specialize in and enjoy it. And I'm excited to be talking about skeuomorphism because it's a really cool thing and a lot more people are starting to actually acknowledge it and talk about it, even though it's been around forever. But it's just kind of fun yeah. to actually be talking about it finally and going, oh, that's Definitely. So skeuomorphism is not just for online or internet or web or applications or anything like that. So um, if you're if you haven't been a part of Spreecast since they added these new things, these are great. The, you can actually click in the middle and then drag it over. I'll remove it from the screen in a little bit. But this is a rivet. So this is a skeuomorph. Um, what happens is a skeuomorph is something that had a purpose in the beginning, but it doesn't anymore. So it's just for aesthetic purposes that it's it, it's there. So this is one of those things where it made a difference. It used to hold the jeans together because they couldn't actually stitch that uh, through all that really thick material, and they had to use rivets. Well, um, skewers are very similar. It just means it had a purpose at once, but it doesn't anymore. It's just really for aesthetic purposes, but um, you know, one of the, my favorite things is the um, Apple interface. You know, they've always made it. They actually have a trash can, not a recycle bin or, you know, anything like that. Um, and I know, Kim, I, that's one of my questions is what's your favorite. But how do you define skeuomorphism? Um, very much like what you just mentioned. Is it, It's one of those things where it's, 
it's it's everywhere and you don't even realize it until you're actually paying attention when you get in your car the texture on your dashboard you know has that leather texture there's no purpose for it it was just when cars were first introduced that's what the dashes were made from um, that's what they were covered with and so it's just something that has carried over so you see a lot of just textural ta uh, tactile qualities um, very just simple details that are still being carried over that are everywhere they're in everything that we interact with um, both physically and online and in other environments that we just don't even realize and aren't even aware of it has just become part of our culture and part of our everyday existence why do you think they're so important to us because you know it isn't a leather but we want to it to seem like it's leather or something well i think can you imagine if suddenly it wasn't there if you got in your car and suddenly the texture of the dashboard was smooth there is something kind of odd about that um because we've become so accustomed and in a lot of environments i mean i, I can't imagine having a pair of jeans that doesn't have rivets you know i mean even, i was even looking at my jeans recently i'm like yeah there's still rivets there um, there's just certain qualities that if they were gone, you would very much be aware that they were missing. Um, even though there's really not, they're not necessary, but it's just become a certain um, a comfort, familiarity. Um, and I think in some cases, depending on how it's being used, there's a certain amount of trust and uh, uh, it kind of creates that emotional connection with a brand or with a product that is an underlying uh, sense that you're not even aware that it's there, but how it's just being utilized. I also think it's kind of like vacuums. If they made a vacuum really quiet, like completely quiet, we probably wouldn't like it because it would. we would think that it wasn't working. So we want it to have uh, a sound uh, as a part of it. Hey, Drew, good to see you. Um, yeah. But I think that's one of those things. I have a, um, I got a Dyson for a Christmas present. I love to vacuum and I love to mow. There are two, I, sometimes I go out to mow and I think that it's a, I'm, I say, I'm going to go vacuum the yard. Um, but I think that that's another one of those things. Dysons are really good, but, and they are quieter maybe than some other vacuums, but very powerful. But if they were too quiet, I would think it wasn't working. I would think something was broken. So it's exactly. some, the, the way we think something is working has to do with how it how it looks um so would do you think we we would be really lost if these were not present i think in a lot of cases yes um especially when you see how um or at least when i think about a website when you think about the very earliest the earliest mac and the early computers um not just just web but just you know computers themselves um the buttons look like a button. You know, you clicked on it and it moved, it, it reacted. Um, a lot of that is just the, the subtleties of just user behavior and interacting with something that mm -hmm. um, even in the, in, even when you think back to what it looked like, you know, it was incredibly archaic, incredibly simple, but that's when you understood what it did and how you used it. And so without having to have an explanation about what you're supposed to do with it or how it should react, you know, you'd click on it, it would, you know, look like it was inserting or it would, you know, it was getting smaller, but it would still react in a, in a way that you would expect a button to react, even though it really wasn't really, you know, a physical button. Um, so I think those subtleties, uh, I think, are necessary. I think they help with, uh, um, especially as technology, as things change and they change so rapidly, I think they have to stay around. 
I think until, I mean, they may eventually evolve into something completely different, but I think um, just in order to maintain that pace of, of usability, it's something that's gonna, that's gonna carry over. So that's something that in design, as I've, uh, you know, in the beginning of web design, it was rollover and rollover effects, what was happening so that people would know. And this doesn't really happen so much in app design or um, on a mobile device. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know that wasn't one of my questions, but you kind of segued into it. Well, and with apps, you know, it's completely different. I mean, that's whenever I talk with my students when they're designing for a website that they know they're going to design responsibly. I have to constantly remind them there's no hover state. You know, there's you have to basically exclude um, one part of user feedback that you have when you're on screen. And that being, you know, what does it do when, you know, when you're on a screen, you hover over something, you immediately can, you can see that, it's, that you're supposed to interact with it. And so it's like, okay, well, what if you don't have that? Can I just look at it and know, yes, I'm supposed to do something with that. I'm supposed to engage in that component in some fashion. And um, that's where I think why skeuomorphism has really kind of snowballed in the app world because we can utilize those techniques uh, for, for people so that they understand what they're supposed to be doing with it and how they should be using it. And, and also just a familiarity. I think the type of product it is and what the end goal is and the audience and who they're speaking to, some things are going to lend themselves more to it than others. Some people are a little um, they're obsessed taken with back with... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had a small one. There you go. It's It is cool. Um, so for me, um, I'm just going to pop some of these up. These don't really even, um, I don't use yellow paper, uh, but this is a skeuomorph that is, uh, you know, most people would recognize this is, this is your notepad. And then it has this hand, sort of handwriting style. Um, this is a typical skeuomorph, and I like this because it's my birthday. Um, and I did not uh, pull this. This is uh, one from Rob Green, who um, hopefully will be joining us in February, maybe sometime, to talk about uh, similar things. He had, This is how I found this. Somebody had a uh, blog, blog post. My dog is snoring in the background. Sorry about that. Um, the He had posted on, uh, did a guest uh, blog post on the creative block, B-L-O-Q. Um, and I read this and I was just in, in awe by these things. I never even knew what this word was. So this is one that's very typical. This is one if you have an iPhone, um, we all have this, which I think is really funny because when you're talking, you see this, you want to talk here instead of here. And, you know, it's, when we're talking, normally we might do this to a person, but when we see this, we want the sound to be able to go in here, which this is where one of those things that helps us to understand. And I actually, I have a Yeti microphone, so my mic is pretty big, but, and it's sort of similar looking, but, you know, we don't use these mics normally now, you know, so that's another really good skewmorph. To me, these are good things that we might interact with because you have them on your phone. Okay. Um, <laughs> go ahead, ask her questions about our R2. Everybody wants to know what the R2D2 is. That's funny. Oh. 
If anybody wants people to already like yard sale, it was you know it's one of the it was it's for Pepsi. It was I think when came when probably Phantom Menace came out or something like that. But it's a cooler, you know, you can put ice and stuff on it instead of drain. It's actually pretty. It functions very well. <laughs> Does his head come off and then you put drinks inside there? Yeah, you can actually put take take the top off and you just fill it up and then put it back on. So. Well, that's cool. Um. Okay, so back to skeuomorphism. I know that Kim's art is so amazing, and um, we're so excited, and Kim's cool already. Um, but this is one that you had added, um, and yeah. and how how I use, um, yeah, Q&A with R2. That's awesome, awesome idea. We'll have to get somebody who can learn, know his language. Um, so the... Um, you can actually pin images, and so that's what I've done. So this is um, one that Kim um, wanted to talk about. So, do you want to talk about this website? Yeah, I was just kind of going. Wanted to uh, was point up a variety of examples because I think the most common that we're all familiar with is you know Apple and the iPhone and, and the Macs and and how it's uh, how Apple is really very prevalent in its use of it. Um, but there's also just different levels. Uh, there's different levels and different types and different manners of which uh, to use skeuomorphism. And wanted to kind of look at some just web web uses. Um, so here's an example where um, it's actually done to look like a, a chalkboard uh, for a uh, Italian restaurant and how it, it's actually using typography and various photos and graphics kind of pull together to create this environment that has some very familiar and very uh, um, interesting texture, but also commu communicates uh, the the food, you know, the menu, and some other things about about the product and the uh, and the the, uh, the business. Um, and we'll see different levels of how skeuomorphism is used in web, and it can be very subtle, or it can be something that's um, that's I mean, the, the whole thing could be very very much um, inundated with it. Um, and so I know there's a few other examples that you want to throw up there, where we've got one that's this one is this much one's... more subtle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really just this top portion, as you can see, um, just to kind of give, if you can see a, uh, a larger view, but um, it's, uh, it looks like a piece of paper that's actually kind of tacked under um, another, another textural quality of paper. And in these cases, it's really just more of something that, that enhances, enhances the design, enhances the site, enhances kind of the feel and the goal of what this, uh, this feature is trying to do. And then we've got, there you go, I'll put some links too. Um, and then we've got other ones where every aspect of it, like this one, this is a case where it's just heavily, heavily used. And, and I think it's really kind of comes down to, um, and there's been designs that I've done for, for clients where um, it may just be something incredibly subtle or it may be something where I use it a little more heavily and you know, some clients just kind of depends on uh, a lot of what their aesthetics and what they're, they're looking for. Um, and then also how it's being used and why is it being used. Um, right now I'm working for a, uh, a client that we're doing a, uh, um, a clothing, a retail line. And it's for a startup. And it, at first glance, they want, you know, we've got a very, very clean, very clean design. But we wanted to pull in just some, some texture, some things that when you first go to it, you immediately know that, okay, this is about clothing, it's about fabric, there's, and it's an organic clothing line. So we just pulled in some very subtle details where we've got some stitching and some 
um, you know, some textural qualities and stuff that pick up on fabric and things like that. And that's not something that's terribly inundated, but it's just something that's, that's just there. So you just get it immediately get that sense. Okay, this is about clothes. This is about materials. Um, and so there's a variety of uses that you can do that. And this is also, I, that's what I do with a lot of my students to get them to think outside the box and kind of utilize some of the tools. Um, and they all want to do everything in InDesign. That's fine, but it's just, you know, Photoshop can be really fun. And there's a lot of things that you can do with it. And especially when I, usually by the time I get the students in my web class, they're seniors or they're getting ready to enter their senior year. Um, that all they've been through is print. They've had some interactive, but not a lot. And so they've got a very strict design sensibility, which is still great and it's still con conceptually solid. But um, I'll introduce geomorphism just to kind of get them to start thinking outside the box and start looking at things a little differently and start kind of having more fun with some of the tools that they have available to them and just seeing what they can do and uh, kind of piggybacking on some of those pre-existing familiarities that we have and see what they can do with them. I think sometimes it's just as simple as introducing a texture which is, you know, Johnny said, and I put it on screen, stealing things from the client's environment so that he didn't have to come up with everything. But the, what you're selling is you're selling that client, you're, you're selling that environment. And if you don't, if it's everything so stark, when someone comes in, there's a, a hiccup in the brand. So I think it's really good to actually have this. It's also another way to connect. We are tactile people. Um, we have things, we touch things. So if you give us a feeling of that, it will still, it will connect deeper with your client. Yeah, there's definitely a it does make psychological connection there um, because of the things definitely. that you're familiar with. And when you keep everything and that's what I have a lot of issues with my students is they'll, you know, I'll give them an assignment and they all come back with this very stark, very minimalist, which I love. I love minimalist design, but it's like when I get 16 projects and they all look almost identical, it's like, come on, let's, let's change this up. Let's start thinking outside the box and getting outside your comfort zones. And I find that that's a real struggle with most of my students is getting them to do that because it was very much about playing it safe and, and what they're already accustomed to and everything wants, they want everything to look like a poster. It's like, this isn't a poster. This is a completely different frame of reference. You have to think about things differently. And when I start throwing in, you know, how do I know what to click on? How do I know what to do? Or if I get here, how do I go back? Then, you know, the wheels start turning and they start thinking about things a little differently and going, oh, I hadn't thought about that. But, well, you kind of have to. Um, and that's when I start bringing in, well, you know, start looking at the environment around you, start looking at materials, start looking at what you're actually working with and start drawing inspiration from that. And it's usually kind of takes a little work, but you know, once they kind of come around and they're like, oh yeah, okay, I can look at that. And then they start looking at things, just looking at the things on their desk in a completely different way and how they can pick up on things that they're, they're using every day to help right. sell the product or, or, you know, continue on with that that uh, emotional connection that people have with a brand. So Sergio had kind of a question. Oh, Buddy's barking. Sorry. <laughs> um, he's very ferocious, 20 pound dog, watch out. Um, would you ever use Maya 2013 or 2013 for web design? I would love design? to learn how to use Maya. It's one of those programs where I just don't have time. <laughs> um, I do, um, I am familiar with uh, uh, Cinema 4D um, and After Effects and some of those things. Um, I'm a big fan of Cinema 4D. It's kind of a fun little tool. Um, but yeah, I think there's um, there's definitely some uses in 
and I have some students that are really that are going towards the motion graphics kind of side of things, and and uh, so they tend to gravitate more towards when I try and give assignments to kind of get them to think about things a little differently. You know, they'll gravitate and kind of latch onto that. Um, but for the most part, I'm I'm building everything in Photoshop and kind of learning, you know, trying to see what I can what I can do there. Um, because that's kind of what I enjoy, and I enjoy working with it. But it's um, I would definitely find them always new, new tools, new toys. You know, I'm open to right. playing around when I can make time for it. So I got a new um, little pad of paper, and this is my pad of paper I normally use. It's just you know a little crappy pad of paper, and then I just got this one, which is really cool, and it's it's you know this nice craft paper and no lines and I can just kind of you know write my notes on there but it's it's you know fairly about the same size but why do I choose this you know as opposed to which is done by Red Star Inc it's on Etsy um, I'll send you the, I'll put the link at the bottom of the the thing normally but um, after we're done but to me this is warmer this yeah, this is functional, but I mean, it's like looks like it's gone through the the water. You know, it's like been rained on or something. And to me, pulling some of these aspects, these pieces of warmth into our design, is going to make somebody else choose us or choose this or choose whatever because of those other little details. Those details. If you go to a restaurant and the food was awesome, but your service sucked, you're not going to probably go back. Or if you do go back, you're definitely not going to sit in that server station. It affects your the the whole feel of the restaurant. So the same thing happens with design. You have to take care to make sure that all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted, so that everything feels like it's purposeful. Yeah, to me, at least. Yeah, no, you're you're right. That's very true. I mean, we've got um, others just. You know, when you when you think about you know, just like with your notepads, yeah, you're right. I mean, they both function the same way, but you know, we are all all everyone. We're all visual people on some level. Um, but you know, of course, me as a designer, oh, I would love to use that. If I had that notepad, like, yeah, I definitely use that notepad over the other one. I just check the other one. I mean, yeah, it's good paper, but I'm like, yeah, it's gonna go to the second one. Um, but uh, for the most part, you know, we're always gonna gravitate for, towards things that we find that are really cool or neat or fun to use or easy to use that are comfortable. Um, there's also um, things that we're familiar with that it builds a, a certain amount of trust. I mean, we can have a product that's brand spanking new from a company we've never heard of, but if it's designed in such a way, designed really well, we will immediately trust it and be comfortable with it and, and utilize it and, um, and work with it. Even, you know, just, just based on those things alone, just because of that emotional quality that you may not be consciously aware of it's just present so here's another one which i believe is the calendar for <laughs> contact all that kind of stuff yeah i mean you look so, at your, your mac yeah it's all the various well not all of them of course but i mean you look at uh, your contacts your calendar your notepad your um what is it, the reminders um everything has this quality and and this is actually fairly new with Mountain Lion. You know, they've kind of amped it up because the previous version with uh, um, with Lion, there was, you know, they've been they've been slowly kind of amping up the level 
of geomorphism each each iteration of the application and the same with the same with the iPhone. So here's just the um, just the little uh, notepad. I, I guess this is just from the regular Macintosh, um, not the iPhone, right? I think so. And then um, and then here's one that's your calendar. I mean, for one, it's like on a piece of lined paper, you know, so I mean, granted, I still use my lined paper, too. Um, I know that a lot of people don't. A lot of people are just, you know, they'll just do it on their iPad or, or their iPhone to take notes. But I think that we still feel there's some of this connection with these little lines and the pink line, which doesn't, you know, do anything for us anymore. Um, on screen at least. Um, and I love this one um, uh, when you start talking about spaces and um, putting things back, you know, having things going further away if so it's really zoomed in and it's close here and then you come back and it gets blurry. Um, just even the shadows, little things so that it doesn't look quite so flat when you're designing. Can you talk a little bit about that and why those things are so important? Well, I think it's also providing um, characteristics and aspects that, um, again, are interesting, that are, um, you know, especially when you're on a, when you're working on, on a screen and a flat surface, that, you know, there's things that you can, you can do design-wise and aesthetically on screen that you can't get away with with print. Um, that just don't, maybe they don't print well, they just don't quite work right. But when you're in this interactive environment where you're actually you're opening things and clicking on things and turning things on and off and that sort of thing, you can start to really expand your repertoire into how you design and how you how you um, work the aesthetics of those things, and also to to kind of piggyback on the standard usability. Um, but I think to me it's also it provides a little bit more fun, um, especially as a d designer. It's it's fun to be able to see to push to push things and kind of see what I can do that that works and, and looks good um, and that's also just fun to do. I mean I, I'm perfectly happy to do very very clean kind of flat um, minimalist design, but you know I don't want to do that all the time. I don't want everything. You know just it, like you said before, it doesn't it just doesn't fit. It doesn't always work for that client or for that brand. Some things need to be more tactile. Some things need to be more three-dimensional and have more depth and more, more characteristics to them um, to kind of emphasize and carry through what that company and what that brand is about or what product they're selling and what they're trying to do. And to me, this is just some, it's just some other elements that we can pull in that they're just they're, they're fun. They're fun to do. They're fun to design. Uh, they're fun to craft. Um, and and to see the end product and kind of see what you can come up with is is uh it's it's enjoyable and it and it looks good and it works and if it works really well for the client then hey you know you're just you're right on track. I think it's also some of that little detail. This could have just been a uh, leather texture, but actually they put the stitching in you know and it, they curved it around which you know if you're thinking about buying something that was made out of leather or something like that you're you're going to have different you know ranges of of how much something costs and i think it's the same way here you could could have done just flat you wouldn't have had to have this other little bump on the side you know where at the very corner of the 
whatever the calendar thing is or something but it's those little things that show those extra details which makes a client feel like hey you know what this is worth more because we did this or a customer that's going to one of your clients might spend a little bit instead of a 99 cents on the app they'll spend a dollar 99 because of some of these functional um, uh, functional things I mean, today I was looking at um, an app, uh, and there were like five apps under that uh, category, and um, three were really well designed, and one was really not designed well. It was, had bad type, and it had nothing that had any of the tactile qualities. And I totally didn't even look at it. I didn't care about the content, and maybe this is just me as a designer, but I was less. Uh, drawn in because the content wasn't speaking to me because of the design the way it was projected was so poor that I couldn't even get past it and I was like I don't want to buy an app like that yeah it's funny how you'll look at this and think it looks more expensive or it has you're right it has these kind of qualities to it that if it was an actual product that you held in your hand you would have certain connotations and certain impressions about it and how those impressions can still carry over through something that is is a, is a visual image, even though it's something I can't touch, but you just get a sense that there was more time, there was more care, um, there's something more that the quality is higher. You know, you just get these these overall sensations about something without even you know, being really necessarily aware of it. Definitely. Okay, here's another one which I love. Um, again, this is just really a lot of Photoshop stuff, I believe. Let's see. You want to talk about this one? Oh, yeah, that's your on-off switch. Um, and I think well, the other good example I should have sent it was, you know, the flashlight for my iPhone, you know, where you get the actual little <laughs> switch, you know. It's, it's just kind of, it's just, it actually looks like a mag light. Um, but you know, these are right. just things to, to turn something on on your phone. You know, but it's, uh, you know, especially because now you've got to compete, you know, of course you have lots of competing competing apps. Um, and you think about, well, if you've got, and I think I probably got my flashlight app because of the, the switch on it, you know, but if you look at a couple different different flashlights, well, they all do the same thing, really. But which one has a cooler interface? You know, which one just looks neater? Um, you know, that plays, plays, uh, plays into it. But it's, you know, you look at this and you immediately know what you're supposed to do with it. You know, there's, there's but it's no also, you know what it does. You know, well, you don't necessarily know exactly what it, but I know it's going to turn something on and off. And also, just the texture of that—that that one of those buttons lights up. It actually has a texture now to the button that I see. All those things add to um, a me understanding it, me feeling like, oh, I know this is still a slick surface, but I'm still able to have that you're still trying to reach um, people on a tactile level. And there's been a ton of psycho psychological studies done that, you know, if you're trying to reach people, maybe you're in the uh, health field, then maybe a textured card instead of a, a really glossy card is going to be better because you're trying to warm up maybe a very sterile, um, cold kind of environment. It has to be like that, but maybe you don't want to have just kind of this really glossy kind of feel because there's that distance. So you, maybe you're a, um, you know, you have a small practice and that's something, an uncoated stock would be better for that. Well, same way with this, 
these things are going to affect whether people spend for an app they're going to affect whether people spend a dollar 99 or they spend 99 because they're going to see that there's more value or they like just they like the interface better and those things i think no matter what we're designing if we're designing something for print or if we're designing something for you know on screen or uh, an app or whatever it's going that interface and how those little details are really going to affect and bringing in things that you're actually using and seeing why do I why do I like this over this and I think even typefaces you could do that why do I choose this typeface over another typeface mm -hmm. um, coming from VCU we're very in they are very minimalist and so there's lots of that for sure but I'm glad you're giving them a little bit of extra <laughs> It is funny when I give them that assignment and they have uh, they have a couple different comps and they have to approach it a couple different ways. And um, I would always, you know, minimalism was one of them. And I found that they would all do minimal. You know, they'd have to pick three out of out of five and they would all do the things that were really clean and, and, and very minimal and bare bones. And it was like, OK, we're going to change it up a little bit. And so now it was like this few more texture. You know, they have to have to come up with different concepts that are utilizing different techniques and how they kind of break the mold and it's always interesting to see how some of them really struggle to kind of break out of that um and and it really you know i could, I could see that the brain just you know achy like like no you gotta you gotta think about things differently it's not all about you know minimalism i mean minimalism is great but it's not always the right the right avenue for for a client and you gotta think about things even differently Right. Well, what what do you think are your most? You talked about your Mag Light flashlight app. What do you think are some of your other um, most used skeuomorphs that you actually that I actually bought use. to use or, or you use? Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah, I know because it's funny because I don't realize how many I actually how many I have on my phone and how many of them are you know are set up that way. <laughs> so I start to look at them, and go, oh my gosh, it's just and of excessive. Um, well, like Instagram changed their um, kind of format, um, and I know there was a huge Instagram thing yesterday, but even just taking a picture on Instagram is different than how it used to be, and, you know, whether or not, I don't know if you can see, probably you can't really see that very well. Well, I'm but, actually a hipster, um, hipstagram, is it hipster? I can't even remember what is it, hipster, hipstamatic? I don't remember which one it is that I use. Uh, Hipstamatic. That's actually my 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 app of choice. Um, I use that more than Instagram, but it's actually set up as an old style camera. And so I'm I'm a junkie, and you can buy lenses and different film types. Oh, cool! Things like that, and I'm just I'm a junkie for it. Yeah. But even the Instagram, you know, the icon. Look at that compared to the podcast. I mean, it's so much, it's richer. Like, I feel like it's an old Polaroid. You know, I feel like, oh, yeah, I get that. It even has, you know, the the five stripes like Polaroid did. And compared to just the podcast, it seems so, the podcast one seems so bland um, comparatively. It just probably needs uh, a little bit of updating. But it's funny that we're pulled in. And I think with more retina displays, these little qualities that weren't before now we're able to design even you know tighter and and have better um resolution things like that so 
Yeah, there's actually another app that I've played around with since Super 8 when the film came out um, uh, a few years ago. Uh, an app came out with it that you could get that was an actual Super 8 camera and it would actually see, you know, shoot video in a Super 8 format and it would sort of just seem to the style of one. And the whole interactive qualities and everything it does is very much like an actual old Super 8 camera. So that, you oh, know, cool. that was something really neat and it was just something that to be as a... Um, as an advertising piece, it's just another marketing thing that they did for, with the movie. Um, but I actually use it all the time just because it's, it's just a neat little thing, and, and I like what it did. Um, and the things that I can do with it, it's just, it's just fun. But, I mean, that's, that's a great marketing tool is that it's something that connects you back to the movie, but it also connects the user to the movie. Instead of just a one-time experience, it's something you can continue and continue and continue, and it builds your brand. So if there's anything that we can do as designers for our clients that will be continuous for their customers, that's what is going to help them feel like, whoa, you know, we're connected. And it's a continual relationship. And I think that that with social media, with all kinds of aspects of design nowadays, if we're not doing these things, it's incredibly important. Yeah, all right, let's cool. see what Johnny is. Since the movie came out, but yet I'm still playing with it. You know, I'm still using it. It's just kind of this neat little thing. And it was, you know, who knows if it was something they were just like, oh yeah, let's do this offhand, or if it was, you know, something that was strategic. But um, it, it's just a great little kind of added bonus uh, to a product. Now all my animals are around me. Um, sorry, I hear my cat's jingle bell. Um, okay, so I have a couple more questions. And um, one is, why do you think people, I mean, I talked about this morning choosing an, one app over another, just specifically about design. But why do you think people choose that uh, skeuomorphic design over just kind of a, other choices or plain ones or or really modern simple simple i think it all stems from emotion i think it all stems from familiarity um comfort uh nostalgia i think nostalgia can play i think people underestimate the role that nostalgia can can play um in in a marketing or in a design environment and how it can be utilized um i think we're all especially as we get older we're all suckers for it and without even realizing it we can get you know more and more sucked into things without even I mean, you know, I see commercials on TV now that are obviously geared towards my generation. And, you know, it's like, oh, wow. You know, it's one of those things I'm really starting to to pay attention to and be aware of, of how I'm being marketed to and products that I would otherwise not have anything to do with. And I'm like, oh, you know, I kind of like that. I could go buy that. You know, and then I have to remind myself, no, that they're just, they're trying to get me to buy it. Um, but I think that's, I think it, it really is feeding on emotion. Um, it's feeding on that, uh, how familiar things are, um, especially if you see something that's designed in such a way that maybe you'd forgotten about or hadn't paid attention to that, uh, you know, sparks something in you that you're, you're fascinated or interested in. Um, and then, of course, that automatically steamrolls into the whole usability aspect. I mean, that's where kind of things progress. Um, but I definitely think the emotional those emotions is what really kind of is the good uh, is a jumping off point for that. So why would somebody choose not to use something like that? Where, where would be an application? I mean, we're definitely talking about how we're for it, you know, doing it. Why would somebody choose not to do that? I think it depends on the, uh, a couple different factors. I think it depends on the, the product, what the, what the goal is, um, you know, if it's a, whether it's a website, whether it's an app or something. Um, how it feeds back to the brand, 
um, the audience that it's speaking to, what is it really trying to achieve? Um, I think certain applications in certain ways, yeah, I mean, they're going to lend themselves more to those fuel-morphic uh, qualities. But then there's going to be other products where it may not make sense. It just may, it might, that might be more um, kind of a, uh, a distance from, from the core product, uh, depending on, I think it just, it's, it's a lot of different factors that you have to take into account and see, well, does it, does it make, does it make sense? Does it fit? And it doesn't always. I think it really just depends on, on all those factors. There was another one we, um, I might have popped it up there, but then I, uh, it doesn't stay in my queue, so it goes away once I take it off the air. But talking about just, we talked about spaces, like designing something, having something blurred in the background, but we can still kind of see it. But also it's about, um, you know, having something have the shadowing or those little aspects. I know that InDesign, Photoshop, they have these, you know, in the, effects panel you can very easily add shadows um, I never use the default almost never um, I'm always adjusting and I think that that's something and what I say is my mom could do that a designer it takes a designer's eye my mom's not a designer she would not be offended um, my mom could make something default happen, but it's the designer's eye to see, hey, is this really the best combination or is this the best color for the shadow or whatever? Can you talk a little bit about that, how how you actually implement this in your designs and then how you actually teach that? I think a lot of it is about subtlety. Um, because you're right, you don't, I mean, it's just, you know, if, you, uh, if you've ever taken a painting class in there, they don't use paint right out of the tube. The same concept, you don't use just the default settings. I mean, they're there to kind of get you started, but it's never something that you want to run with. You know, you kind of, um, you can implement it and then you go, okay, then you modify it from there or something like that. It's something that you're just learning how to use. Um, but I think it's just kind of a research, you know, looking at things, um, looking at how, um, People use things, the different products, and what you're trying to achieve. Um, how and I think we go back to how expensive or how do we want it to look, how do we want it to feel, um, and then mm -hmm. you just have to get in there and kind of start toying with it and seeing what works. And also, you have to consider too with with interactive media um, how things look on different monitors, different screens. Um, you know, things render a little differently on a on a PC monitor versus a Mac monitor. Things are going to look a little different on an iPhone than they look on any Android. Um, you know, the way that the colors are rendered and, and also depending on what the retina, um, the retina displays and how things work. So um, you have to look at a lot of different stuff and kind of play around with it to see what's actually working. And, you know, web is about compromise. You know, print is a lecture, web is, web is a conversation. And so you have to design and then, and then constantly be looking at everything and every medium possible to see how, how it's working. Because you may have on one device, it looks great, on another device, it doesn't look so good at all. And so you have to kind of find that happy medium and make some compromises there that you feel like your design is working. What's the best way to do that? I know you work, you do a lot of um, custom WordPress themes and um, you know that's one of the things that you're great at um, and one of the things that you really focus on in, in your business. How do you, because responsive design is so important in our world so many people are using their phone to to find something or or especially at the christmas season hanukkah kwanzaa whatever you're celebrating um you know you're buying things online and you're buying things not just on your 
your computer, you're buying them on your, your phone or your iPad. How, what's the best way to kind of find that medium? Well, there is no one, there is no one, one, you know, one solution. Um, I have a couple of different tools in my arsenal that I have to utilize. Um, of course, I have an iPhone. I do have a PC laptop um, that I have all the program, all the, the browsers on for chat. Well, I shouldn't say all. I have as much as I can have um, for testing. Um, I have my Mac, um, but I also utilize, there's uh, lots of programs out there. There's uh, browsershots.org um, that does screenshots for you. There is um, Adobe Browser Labs that you can do some testing on, and those are just, of course, for web. Um, but then there's some also online resources, um, which I'll have, to, I'll have to post those. I don't have those off the top of my head. Uh, just for previewing for responsiveness. Um, I have friends that, I mean, I've debate, been debating about, do I get an Android just so I have it for testing? You know, I mean, of course, iPad. Um, a lot of those is if, if either having them or ha knowing somebody that you can pester at all hours uh, to uh, that have it that don't mind checking things for you and can send you screenshots and you can take a look at things. Um, I try and have as much of them myself as possible so I don't have to you know bug people about it. Um, but I have a, just a couple different online programs and things on 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 the web that I pull from and utilize to see how things are working. Um, debugging is always uh, an undertaking. I mean that's always something that you have to address. And of course we all know IEs usually have more debugging with IE than you have anything else. Um, same with the phones. There's going to be um, certain phone types, and of course, as more things keep coming out, more things you got to test for. Um, right. And so it's I always have to set aside quite a bit of time for debugging because you never know what you might end up running into. I mean, you've got some standards that you know you got to adhere to, and just some fixes that you're going to have to do regardless. But you never know when there's going to be some little stuff that you just missed or forgot, or that something just isn't working, um, or there's something that's not you know that two pieces of parts aren't playing nice together and you've got to work through them. Um, but it's just setting aside the time and, and going through and, and kind of figuring out where, where the bugs are. Well, and it's also figuring out what's, what's worth, deep, like if it's between two things and you think you're going to have more users that are on the Android than they're on the whatever, then it's not worth fixing it for the iPhone if they're going to be your majority of people it's it's really knowing your audience I think as well um, I think that I also this is that is not one of my favorite parts is the debugging or the I call it you know the developmental part where you're the testing phase but that's how I break my websites in I do a design and then I do a programming and then I do a testing and you have three separate things and people are like oh well the testing you're done with the design everything works and I'm like well not quite um, but you, you do have to know your audience um, I think that Johnny talks about how you know they have a full well web development office um, and I think the um, I think that just having somebody else that that maybe is their focus is that debugging part. I know Kim, you do a lot of that on your own, right? Yeah, but I used to. I worked for a university. I was a web designer for a university for seven years, and we had, you know, we worked with we had the developers, and we had all those people that would would tag team. Um, so you know, I was familiar with designing and then kind of handing things off and letting them figure out the bugs and that sort of thing. And that's always nice, but. You know, that's also a luxury, especially when you have your own business, you know, you're kind of covering a lot of things. But 
I mean, I, there are still times when I'll, I'll have somebody else kind of handle some debugging just because I've just been looking at it too long, you know, and I just, uh, it's usually something small and subtle and I just can't see it anymore because I've been staring at it too much. Um, and, and so it's, it's helpful to have other sets of eyes say, okay, here, can you please take a look at it and, and, and help me figure out what's wrong with it um, or what the problem is or, you know, and having a network of people and having that, that's a, another huge help is just having a network of people that are available that you can either ask or just have them look over your shoulder and check things or, you know, ask some questions when you need it. Right. Um, MK has a question. Have we just passed the threshold where you don't get the cheap clients anymore? You know, I do think that there comes a time uh, for me where, you know, I give somebody a bid and I'm kind of like, Johnny, if, if the, you want a quick design, you're probably not going to get what I consider um, the, anything that's going to take me uh, a lot of time because that time that signature work what I'm known for or whatever takes time and it's going to cost you something it's not like making toast it's not just an effect that we click, click a button um, and that's that's a way for me I tell students all the time I say hey you know what don't use live trace like I think that live trace is for sophomores and freshmen. And um, it's just about them getting to know what Illustrator can do or whatever. Well, it, my mom can use Live Trace. And if my mom can do it, that is not something that, I, I mean, she has, I mean, this is a button. You click, you go to that menu, and you go down. It's not anything that really takes a, a designer's eye or any, any kind of, you know, skill. It just comes with the program. <laughs> yeah, I think um, anyway, I, I still get those trickling in every now and then, and, and it usually will depend. I mean, I had one recently I did, and it was for a good, it was a nonprofit, it was a good cause. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do that one. But you know, um, yeah, it's it's definitely we. You know, I just have to think, you know, is it worth the? I mean, it's you know, is it worth it? I mean, sometimes. Uh, it might be a good client or it might be, uh, there might be some reasons where I can justify, you know, kind of giving them a break or something like that. But for the most part, it's like, you know, to me, when you, if you do that with one client, then they think they expect everybody to do it. And then you're just making life harder for the next designer down the road because they're going to think, oh, everybody just, just works that way. And, and, you know, um, even if I give someone a break, I, it's still all broken down in the invoice and in the details so that they know, okay, this is how much it normally would be. I'm giving you a discount right. because, you know, maybe you're a nonprofit or, you know, donating, willing to donate some of my time or something like that. Because um, I think it's all, also all about an educational process of, you know, it's part of our job to educate the client and make, make it easier down the road if they continue to work with us or if they work with somebody else that they start to value design and what it is that we do and understand what we do. I agree. I think that if you don't educate the client about what it really would cost, then what happens is, is they do devalue our whole industry and they're like, well, you know, Judy said she could do it for $30 and you're going to charge 120. What's up with that? And I'm like, well, Judy doesn't know what she's doing and, or, you know, Judy, I don't know, whatever, why Judy's doing that, but it does end up messing everybody up. So it's something that it has to be something that you're conscious about and how much you're charging, but it's also of telling them, hey, this is what I discounted you on and this is what it would have cost. I think that those people will value you more and value what you did for them a lot better. Absolutely. Well, 
Um, I think we're done with my questions, and I'm so glad um, we're almost out of time. So, Kim, thank you so much. If anybody else has a question for Kim, um, and uh, Johnny said, Art Chantry says, have a large personal library of backgrounds and images. And I actually think not just stuff that you have you find online, but go out and take pictures. Like I think concrete sometimes has really nice texture. Just get your um, high-res digital camera, make those backgrounds. And when you, if you have any downtime or maybe you put in some time to be adjusting these things. I know that one of my other guests, um, it, this summer was as Marius Valdez. He's another VCU grad. He um, would take uh, just it, he had a pile of textures. Then he had an intern one summer, and that's all the kid did was scan textures. But some stuff, some stuff like that is stuff we can create. But sometimes it takes us away from being on the computer to actually doing something by hand, and then something that we're scanning in things like that. You know, I think you need to get out of wherever you are. Um, I was. I follow a lot of blogs, and one of the blogs that I uh, follow is um, Blogcast FM, and he, they were interviewing, Srini Rao was interviewing social media examiner um, Mike St Stelzner, sorry, um, and he was talking about how you should get out. If all you're doing is this, then you just see it from this perspective, and you see it from this point of view, and you have to get out and stop just being in the realm that you're normally in, read a book that you is fiction or read something else that's something totally different, go on a walk in a different place than you normally do. It helps you to learn and helps you to see something from another perspective, which makes you a more well-rounded designer. I think that that's something that we've talked about before, Kim, is just how the research part can be so engaging and so inviting because now we can learn about so many other other industries or and I think that's one thing I like so much about design is that I get to learn every day about clients and and that part is fun for me right new products and new things know. you didn't want to aware of and then how do you kind of pull that into your repertoire how do you pull that into uh, right. the inspiration arsenal oh yeah there's lots of great things but yeah I do the same thing I mean I've got a huge folder you know bookmarked on the computer that are just all kinds of just things that I've come across and found um, and then I have piles of just things I've collected on the street or wherever that are just interesting textures or just interesting things that I like um, that at some point I think you know I'll have I'll have a project where this would be perfect for it. right just to have. yeah it's just keeping your brain activated in multiple levels and on multiple things. If all you do is social media, don't don't let that be the only blogs you follow. Try something else just to get your mind doing something else as well. Because yeah, you, you never know where inspiration. We're we are an athlete. We're just an athlete of a different kind. You know, our brain is a muscle, and we have to work it, and we have we have to exercise. And and you don't just exercise one part of it. You have to exercise the whole thing. You have to take care of all of it. Um, because if you don't, certain things are going to atrophy and they're going to affect another. So you've, you've got to, you've got to look at it holistically and, and really kind of cover, cover the gambit and expose yourself to lots of things because they all feed off of each other. I totally agree. I think when you work one muscle group all the time in the same kind of, you know, activity, they, they, there's muscle memory. So they learn, so they don't have to exert as much energy or effort to to do those things anymore so then you know that's why p90x is so um, has set, been so popular because 
it's there's no muscle memory you can't even once you 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 never get to really get the moves down because you're already always changing it up but that is what makes your muscles um that's what makes you lose more weight or or gain more muscle mass because you're always really working those muscles it's the same way for us that's why i think we just have to get out and and like you said go do something from a different perspective so i think that's great well, I'm going to share a couple of things. Um, this is the this is the article that I saw in the very beginning. If you want to uh, check it out, this is Rob Green um, wrote this blog post on Creative Block, and then um, just wanted to share Kim's stuff. Uh, this is her Twitter at feed and her email, and she's at protozoadesign.com. And here's my Twitter handle and. Kim's together. I'm not just going to do a whole bunch of different ways, but um, I was really happy. I had a goal of getting, I, you know, started this um, web show back in June and uh, went weekly in July and have been doing it weekly ever since. And um, I wanted to have 200 likes on the Facebook page by the end of 2012. Well, um, we hit that last week. Uh, well, we hit 200 back. Um, but now we're at this past or yesterday or today, we're at 410. So I awesome. super surpassed my goal. So That's great. yeah. So I have a new one of a thousand by August. So if you guys share it out, go like it on Facebook. It's right there. Um, if you have any questions or you have a topic that you want to talk about, you can email me at diane at designrecharge.org. And then also, if you just want to get on our mailing list, we have a couple. We it's me and my dog. Um, me, just me. Um, have some tips that we'll be sending out and I uh, send a weekly. I'm not spamming you. It's just um, a real quick kind of what's coming up this week and then next week or what happened last week if you missed it. And then so sign up for the email newsletter. It's at the top. It's on all the pages, but it's at the top. So sign up. I will not ever sell your email address, but thank you guys so much. I will give Buddy a hug and I'm sure Kim will give her R2 a hug. Thank you guys so much. And we will see you in two weeks with Triple Threat Press, a letterpress um, company in Texas. So thanks so much for coming and we'll see you in 2013. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and have a safe new year everybody and kim thank you so much for coming i really appreciate appreciate it and thanks for putting the r2 out for us yeah he'll be here again <laughs> <laughs> all right y'all have a good new year bye